So you know what we haven't done in a while? A proof of the existence of God. So let's fix that, shall we? So first, to recap, it is now Meditation 3. Um, we have initially doubted all of the knowledge that we potentially possess. We have become very suspicious of our senses due to the fact that they have been deceiving us, both in dreams and insanity and other things, like this whole issue with the wax, having all of these attributes at one point, and then losing all these attributes and remaining the same piece of wax at another point. Um, we have come to our first major concrete conclusion, namely that I, Descartes, exists. Um, which we've proven because even if we were being deceived, we have to be there to be deceived. So no matter what you imagine about the whole universe and everything around us, we have to exist in order to be able to take it in, doubt it, question it, be deceived, be informed by the senses, whatever the case may be. Um, and we've also established that as a thinking thing, we have certain delimited powers. Um, namely, to doubt, to understand, to affirm and deny, to will, to refuse, to imagine, and to sense. Um, so, here we are. We have established all of this information, which admittedly is not very much. We still have not proven the existence of our bodies, or the world around us, or God, or anything besides the fact that we, a thinking thing, exists. Um, now it's time to, to move forward, try and reestablish the senses, try and get back to where we started in some way. And the first thing that Descartes wants to establish is the parameters by which he understands things. Um, this is what he talks about as clear and distinct perception. Um, he says in one place, everything I very clearly and distinctly perceive is true. He mentions this multiple times throughout this section. Um, so. What he means here is the basic principle behind his conclusions. Like, now that he understands that he exists, he can observe himself understanding that he exists. This is not reason as it's typically understood, where you, like, ra uh, rationalize through a number of conclusions until you come to the final conclusion that you're aiming at, like with all the intermediary steps along the way. This isn't premises and conclusions. Rather, this is sort of a recognition that this process is constituting proof that there is no way for him to not exist because all of the potential things that he would observe not existing imply his own existence. Um, this is what he means by clear and distinct perception. So now he needs to find a clear and distinct perception that proves other things exist besides himself. Um, and the place that Descartes wants to start is a discussion of ideas. So at this point, remember, Descartes is just a mind. He can't prove the existence of the world, he can't disprove the existence of the world. He doesn't know if he's conjuring his own ideas, but he can't know whether or not he's conjuring his own ideas. Um, he doesn't know if there's a god, he can't prove that there is or is not a god, and we're still operating under the assumption that we are being deceived by an evil genius because it causes us to doubt all of our perceptions in the way that we need to for this experiment. So now that we have all that down, Descartes is left with only two things, really. Himself, his mind, his thinking thing self, and also all of the ideas that he has in his mind. Now, all of these ideas count as something to be observed. Just because he has these ideas does not mean that they exist out in the world. He acknowledges this. But remember, there's a distinction between I am sensing a thing and I believe the thing that exists. Um... On the one hand, 
observing I see a tree or I am seeing something that looks like a tree, that's just an observation. That is a statement of fact. It's not something he can deny. Um, like I am sitting in my office, I am standing in front of, or I am sitting in front of my computer. I am looking at my recording program as it's recording my voice. Um, you can tell me that this is all an illusion, that I'm actually dreaming, and that I, due to recording too many lectures lately, I am receiving hallucinations about my computer and about my uh, voice recording program. But it doesn't change the fact that I feel like I am seeing this. I sense this in some way. Um, so the ideas, like my recording program, a tree, all of these things, Descartes has to take into account somehow. This is evidence, um, and he can evaluate it. it. He doesn't have any proof that it does or does not exist, but he can examine each of the ideas in turn. So let's take a few ideas. And this could be as simple and straightforward and mundane as like a hamburger or our textbook or, you know, you and I your professor. Um, this could be as imaginative as like a unicorn or a dragon or space aliens. Um, this could be as abstract as love or disease or um, inefficient political systems. All of these are ideas. There are things that we have kicking around in our mind. There are things that we need to evaluate in some way, things that we can evaluate in some way, even if we reject the possibility of them being based in reality, even if we deny the existence of hamburgers, we can still say to ourselves, I have an idea of a hamburger that could theoretically be rooted in some abstract fancy or some evil genius's machinations. And this is what Descartes does. He wants to catalog his ideas, and ask himself, where do these ideas come from? Where could they come from? Um, because at this point, there are three possibilities for where his ideas could have come from. On the one hand, he could have invented them himself. On the other hand, they could come from the world, as we are inclined to believe. On the other hand, they could come from that evil genius that we've been kicking around. It could be God or some surrogate of God. Um, so we have to analyze these ideas and see where do they could possibly come from. And the only rule that he keeps in mind about this is that each of these ideas has to follow from something. You can't just, like, appear. The ideas have to be, uh, to be related to something that created the idea. And whatever created the idea has to have at least as much objective reality as whatever the idea suggests. So if we look on page 541, we can see um, how this is outlined. All these points demonstrate sufficiently that up to this point it was not a well-founded judgment, but only a blind impulse that formed the basis of my belief that things existing outside me send ideas or images of themselves to me through the sense organs or by some other means. We have no evidence that our senses relate to something that actually exists in the world. Um, at this point, we have just been trusting blindly our eyes, our ears, our taste buds, etc. to tell us good information. So if we have an idea of a hamburger, it's because we have blindly believed that McDonald's is a place and that they serve these hamburgers. Um, but he continues, but still another way occurs to me for inquiring whether some of the ideas or some of the things of which there are ideas in me do exist outside me, insofar as these ideas are merely modes of thought. I see no inequality among them. They all seem to proceed from me in the same manner, but insofar as one idea represents one thing and another idea another thing, it is obvious that they do differ very greatly from one another. 
unquestionably those ideas that display substances to me are something more, and if I may say so, contain within themselves more objective reality than those which represent only modes or accidents. So a hamburger has more objective reality than, say, a tasty hamburger. A hamburger has more objective reality than a brown hamburger, or the brownness of the hamburger. Um, these colors, these attributes, these characteristics are less real than the object that has them. So we are temporarily going to set aside the accidents. We're not going to talk about brown, we're not going to talk about tasty, we're not going to talk about love, we're not going to talk about these abstracts or these adjective kind of ideas. Um, we're looking at the substances because that's where the real, the reality is grounded. We can say all hamburgers are brown, but really we're making a comment about the hamburgers, not about brownness as a rule. Again, the idea that enables me to understand a supreme deity, eternal, infinite, omniscient, omnipotent, and creator of all things other than himself, clearly has more objective reality within it than do those things through which finite substances are displayed. This we need to unpack a bit. What Descartes is basically saying here is, if I have an idea of a hamburger, it must have come from something that was at least as impressive, as grand, as real as a hamburger. Like, you can't get the idea of a hamburger from a paramecium. It's too small. Um, it doesn't have enough reality to it. Um, if we have an idea of a hamburger, it must have come from something that is at least as good or as great as a hamburger. And it could have been a hamburger. It could be something in reality itself. It could also be something bigger than a hamburger. It could have been, you know, another human being, because human beings are bigger and more impressive and more important and more real than hamburgers. So all of our ideas must have come from something. Um, and that something must be at least as real, at least as important, at least as grand as the thing that, or as the idea that we have. So with this in mind, he starts going through his ideas. Where did we get this idea of a hamburger? Well, there are three options. Again, as we said, either I came up with it myself, which is entirely possible because I am at least as awesome as a hamburger. It could have come from actual hamburgers in the outside world or from something else telling us about hamburgers, like maybe there's a picture online of a hamburger, um, even if we've never eaten a hamburger before. Or perhaps other people have told us about hamburgers and we got the idea from them because they are at least as important and as grand and as real as a hamburger is. Or it could have come from our evil genius god person, which, as we've established, is nearly omnipotent and omniscient, so therefore it has way more objective reality than a hamburger and it can totally deceive us about the existence of hamburgers. Have I made you hungry yet? Um, I'm so sorry that we are all under quarantine and that if you do not have access to hamburgers, I'm, like, making it way worse. Perhaps I should switch to something less enticing, like, I don't know, anchovies? Whatever. At any rate, what we're saying here is it had to have come from someplace and we can't pin it down. Um, the possibility of our anchovies or hamburgers could come from any of our potential sources of knowledge. So let's set that one aside. Now let's consider one of our invented ones, like our unicorn or our dragon, because that one doesn't map as nicely. Um, a dragon is theoretically greater than ourselves, although again, we don't exactly understand what we are at this point, so it still could have come from ourselves. But more importantly, we also sort of universally acknowledge, and I know I'm gonna be stepping on some toes here, 
dragons don't exist. Um, I know, I'm, I'm waiting for the booing to die down. Um, so where do we get the idea of dragons, or unicorns, or other fanciful creatures that appear in fantasy? Um, now, like, we could have a long discussion about, like, well, the first instance of a dragon in literature is actually the Enuma Elish in Babylonian mythology, and the modern dragon comes from, on the one hand, the Chinese interpretations of it, or the, like, English interpretations and Celtic interpretations, on the other hand. I mean, we could have that conversation. I'm actually qualified to talk about it now. Like, I've been doing some research on dragons lately, because this keeps coming up. Um, but that's not really what we're going for here. Like, the historical origins of dragons are interesting, but not to our point. Um, that's another conversation for another class. What... Descartes thinks is that anytime that we come up with something fanciful like dragons, it's based entirely on stuff that we're observing in reality. Um, we're just mixing and matching the pieces. So a dragon is a flying reptile that breathes fire and has vicious claws and has these big impressive wings in most cases, or at least in most Western European cases. And for Descartes, this is all stuff that we see in nature. It's just, we don't see them all together. So, like, a dragon is basically just, you know, a lizard with bat wings that breathes fire. This is all stuff that we can imagine independently, and then we combine it. In Meditation 1, he actually considers the possibility that, like, all of our invented ideas probably come from mixing and matching sources that we have, in fact, encountered in real life. Dragons aren't real, we just make a composite of a lot of things that are real. So once again, we're left with the same three sources. Either I invented it myself, assuming that I have, you know, greater objective reality than I suspect that I do, like I'm big enough to make a dragon all by myself. Um, it came from, like, the world around us, not in the sense of, like, there are dragons out there, but in the sense of we saw different bits and then combined them into a dragon, so there's, like, multiple sources contributing to the objective reality of a dragon. Or, once again, it could have come from this evil genius or god. Now, all of our ideas fall into this category. They could have come from any of the places outside us, except one. The idea of God himself. As he says, again, the idea that enables me to understand a supreme deity, eternal, infinite, omniscient, omnipotent, and creator of all things other than himself, clearly has more objective reality within it than do those ideas through which finite substances are displayed. God's idea, the idea we have of God, is way more objectively real, has way more objective reality than any of the other ideas we have. In short, the idea of God, omniscient, omnipotent, infinite, creator of all things, etc., that idea is enormous. It is eternal. It is infinite. It is way more real, way more objectively real than any other idea we have access to. So it's going to be especially limited where it could possibly have come from. Because on the one hand, we don't have any experience. We don't have any world experience of a god like this. Like if we boil down who god is, and Descartes does, he boils down to this idea of perfection. Um, and to be frank, we don't have any concept of perfection in some unlimited sense. 
Um, like we can understand perfection in a limited sense. Like if I write you a test and you get a perfect score on the test, then you understand perfection insofar as that's concerned. But that's just me like setting very small limited parameters for perfection. Like I play this game and have been for the last few weeks called Cook Serve Delicious 3, where you just like try and prepare all of these meals for all of these people who come to your food truck. And it's like this really rapid fire, really tense game where I'm like slamming buttons all the time. And if you make one mistake, even so much as one mistake, you do not get the gold medal at the end of the level. And that means that you don't get the achievement at the end of the area. So I am constantly going back and waiting until I get a perfect score, making no mistakes. Like not putting anchovies on the pepperoni pizza that this person ordered. Um, I have to stop using food metaphors. I'm probably going to ruin all of your lives. Um, at any rate... That's the only understanding of perfection that we have, and God is so much bigger, so much more unbounded. He doesn't have limitations. There are no rules that define his perfection. He is a perfect being, capital P, no restrictions, no limitations, no bounds. So where did we get this idea from? Because we don't have experience of perfection in the world. We have to rule that one out. Um, we do not encounter perfect people, we do not encounter perfect beings, we certainly do not have any concept of infinity in any unbounded sense, except in like those microcosmic infinities, like there is an infinite distance between one and two. Um, what we have is something that is completely alien to our experience. So the other possibility is we came up with it ourselves, in which case we are God. Like, if we have this idea of a perfect, infinite, like, perfectly good being, then we must ourselves be this perfect, infinite, perfectly good being. Um, like, if we could conjure that idea for ourselves, we must have those qualities. We must have that level of objective reality. That's what we're saying here. Um, but we don't. And while God, or while Descartes entertains the possibility that maybe like we are secretly a perfect being we just don't see that like we're just the small partitioned part of our greater consciousness and we're only seeing like a tiny little bit of all of our capabilities at the end of the day Descartes like no that's a that's enough reason right there to rule it out the one of the important qualities of this perfect god that he is entertaining is that he has no potential he is not like waiting to blossom into god like he is god here and now um in the same way that aquinas was talking about god as being simple um actual as opposed to potential so it could not have come from us or at least not us as we understand ourselves maybe there's some bigger sense of who we are but that seems really unlikely so the only other possibility that's left is that the idea of God, this infinite, perfect being, must have come from God. There's no other place that explains this. There's no other place with that level of objective reality. And thus, we have our proof. It must have come from God himself, which means that God must exist. Since we have the idea of God, there must in fact be a God. Now, I already see all of your hands up and I already recognize that like everyone is going to like tear my throat out on this one because again proofs for the existence of God I know how this class works this does not imply that any idea implies the existence of the object that its idea is you know suggesting like I just said the idea of an anchovy is 
could potentially come from actual anchovies, could potentially come from ourselves, could potentially come from anywhere, doesn't matter because anchovies are small and tiny and salty and gross, and thus they have very little objective reality. By contrast, dragons, they also have larger objective reality, but they're the product of these composites. We put all these pieces together. None of those pieces does not exist, but the object itself does, or none of those pieces do not exist, even though the object itself does not itself exist. Um, we can make the combinations. We can put those pieces together. The fact that we can imagine a dragon does not imply that dragons exist. It just implies that all the pieces for dragons exist. God, on the other hand, as being perfect and simply perfect, we have no direct experience of this. It could not have come from this endless succession of you know, like communication from person to person, somewhere there must be a perfect source to give us this idea of a perfect being. This idea is unique, it is special, it is something that cannot be explained by conventional means. And the fact that we have this idea, the fact that we are kicking around this concept of God, the fact that I can say to you, God, and you get this idea of a perfect supernatural infinite being, implies that that idea is there and you've got to explain where it comes from. So if you're going to deny the existence of God, if you're going to say, no, God does not exist, then you have to explain to me, where did I get my idea of God? And once again, you can trace lineage and history. You can point all the way back to the Bible and be like, all oh, these people wrote the Bible and they came up with this idea. And it doesn't stop the explanation. Where did they get the idea? Who gave them the idea? Maybe there's an oral tradition leading back thousands of years. It doesn't matter. At some point, this idea must have come into being. Um, and it, the only possibilities are that idea was created by a person, which is less than God. So how did they create the idea? Or something that they observed, which once again must be less than God. So where did the idea come from? The only left possibility left is God himself gave us the idea. The idea was placed in our minds, either historically or immediately, by God. Because God is the only being big enough, powerful enough, perfect enough to create this idea. So, unless you can come up with a better explanation of where the idea come from, you can't argue against this proof. Or, you know, you can't. So there are two other um, arguments that he does, in fact, anticipate. Um, so on the one hand, he says, what if this is a negative thing? Like, that's something we can do. We can occasionally come up with ideas for things that are negative. So, for example, like we talked a little bit in class earlier about hot and cold. Um, we have this idea of cold and we have this idea of heat. But cold is a negative idea. It comes from our understanding of the deprivation of heat. We are not cold because there's like some physical coldness that like gets into our bones and surrounds us and causes us to shiver. No, what the problem is, is like there's not enough heat in the room. There's not enough molecular activity. Um, so heat is positive, cold is negative. And we come up with the idea of cold because we already have this idea of heat. Heat has more objective reality than cold. So that's where the idea must come from. But take that a step further. So where do we get our idea of death from? Like we have on the one hand life, and on the other hand we have death. Well, 
the under, obviously death is a negative thing, a deprivation. It is the absence of life. So it must have come from an idea at least as great as that absence of life, and that obviously is life. Life is positive, death is negative. But that also implies that mortality is negative, where immortality is positive. Immortality is the presence and, like, constant presence of life, where mortality is the absence of that life. It does not extend forever. So we get our idea of mortality not from the fact that we see people dying around us, but from the fact that we understand a being that does not die, which again does not come from experience. You cannot extrapolate the possibility of a being that does not die from beings that do. It implies that somewhere there is a being that does not die, which means that we cannot extrapolate perfection from imperfection. We cannot go from, you know, saying, well, all of us are weak and small and petty and, and gross, and God is not any of those things. No, God's attributes are positive. Our attributes are negative. We understand our own fallibility, our own weaknesses in terms of God, not the other way around. So Descartes insists, you cannot flip the script on this one. You cannot say there is, like, we got our idea of God by looking at ourselves and saying, what about not that? No, you had to have something at least as big in order to be able to explain to us that we're not the greatest things in the universe. Um, we have to have an idea of something bigger than ourselves, which must, in fact, come from something bigger than ourselves. So the idea of an infinite being being derived from a finite one is not possible. It is not something that our minds can do by Descartes' reasoning. And so once again, you have to come up with an explanation of where did your idea of God come from? Because you didn't get it from just looking at the world and saying, not that. The only option left is there must be a being with that much perfection. There must be a being with that much objective reality. That is, there must be God. And it is significant, too, that this is, um, this is God's own mark upon us. Like in the last section of uh, Meditation 3, he calls this a trademark. To be sure, it is not astonishing that in creating me, God should have endowed me with this idea so that it would be like the mark of the craftsman impressed upon his work, although this mark need not be something distinct from the work itself. God's trademark is his idea imprinted upon our consciousness. We are all printed with this idea. God makes sure that no human being leaves the warehouse unless it has God's own mark on it. You understand who God is. You have this idea of God because God himself put it there, in short. And it makes sense that he would do that. Um, so this is Descartes' first proof. We're going to have two, P.S. Meditation 5 is also going to include a proof for the existence of God. And this is perhaps the more famous of the two, for good reason. Um, but you can also see, to some degree, that this very much takes after the Aquinas model of proving, for the, proving the existence of God. Once again, we have an effect that we are observing, and we are trying to get to the cause of the effect. And in the same way, Descartes is saying, we have this idea of God, it must have come from someplace, there cannot be an infinite regress, therefore there must be a God. Um, his implication, his reasoning, follows Aquinas' fairly closely, even though it is taking place entirely within his own mind this time. 
Um, unlike Aquinas, he's not using the world to justify his opinions. This is the third proof for the existence of God. This is what med Meditation 3 is all about. And this is going to have major implications for the rest of the project from here on out, as you would expect. Um, this is going to be where we start changing our attitudes and our approach, because now we have proven the existence of something outside of ourselves. We have proven the existence of an omnipotent, perfect being. And if we have an omnipotent, perfect being, there's going to be a lot more possibility for understanding the world and understanding the things of our senses going forward. We have a pretty surefire explanation for where this stuff could have come from going forward, now that we know that there's a god out in the works. Um, so that's meditation three. Um, as you go forward, consider that we will have to deal with the same problems we always have to consider when we are talking about God in a philosophical text. Namely, we're going to have to talk about the problem of evil. But once again, Descartes changing it around a little bit now that we're working completely in the subjective rather than the objective. Um, so keep a lookout for that, and I will have my lecture for Meditations 4 through 6 up probably in a couple hours, to be honest. Like, it's Thursday, I'm doing two today, it's gonna be nuts, I'm probably gonna feel like crap afterwards. Whatever, that's how my life is going at this point. Um, so I hope you're enjoying these lectures. Again, let me know if there's something weird going on with them. If they're bad or you just can't understand my voice or whatever the case may be, um, keep turning in those discussion boards or keep showing up to those Q&As. Um, make sure to get the quizzes in on time. And I'm hoping that in the next couple of weeks I'll be able to turn out our research-related um, like video lecture thing. Um, more information about that as we get closer to it because that one's going to be a lot of work on my end. Um, so, happy reading, and be sure to get through Meditations 4 through 6 by the time that you get to our Q&A session this week. Farewell.